Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You. And now here's Connie. made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's Mary Oliver's The Summer Day. Oh, isn't that so sweet? I love that poem. And I'm reading it because I'm just wondering, how are you feeling about your life? Are you feeling passionate and purposeful? Well, today I have someone on the podcast to talk about just that. Super excited to bring on our guest. Before we do, welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast about living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. I am Connie Bowman, the host for the past five or six years. I haven't decided if it's five or six. I think it's coming up on six, actually, which I cannot believe. Can't believe it's been that long. Time just seems to go and go and go. Before we introduce our guest, just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Blue Planet Eyewear. Blue Planet Eyewear is the coolest company, you guys. Seriously, they make readers and they make sunglasses and they're always coming up with new designs, super cute. Um, the readers come in every different uh, magnification, which is good for me because it seems like my magnification is increasing my need for magnification. So check them out and they give back. That's the best part. That's the thing I really like about Blue Planet. They give back and um, help with eyewear for people in places where they um, just can't afford eyewear. So it's really cool. Blueplaneteyewear.com. Check them out. Use the code Connie20 and you'll get a nice discount for being my favorite listeners. Now I'm going to bring in our guest today so we can talk about this passion and purpose and some other things that um, she specializes in. Tiffany Toombs is a mindset coach. She specializes in helping people rewire their brains to overcome self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. She helps her clients uh, experience success in every area of life. She's a master practitioner and trainer in NLP. We're going to ask her about that. Neuro-linguistic programming and matrix therapy. 
She's worked in the health and fitness industry for many, many years while exclusively working as a coach over the past several years. She combines her science background and knowledge of the body and mind with her spiritual interests, we're going to have a lot to talk about, and training to get clients results that are undeniable and amazing. Her goal is to empower 1 million women, men and children to live their truth daily. 1 million. We'll ask her how she's doing. And she loves watching her clients transform from being stuck with things like emotional trauma, depression, anxiety, self-sabotage and procrastination. I know that very well. To improving their finances, their health, their relationships and just living a happier and healthier life. She has herself overcome physical abuse, infidelity, eating disorders. She's been there, you guys, miscarriage. Today, she's sought after for her ability to help where uh, years of therapist visits couldn't. And she helps people identify that potential that lies within us so we can all live our best wild and wonderful lives. She's also the author of Stop Being a Selfish Bitch. Yes, Bring it on, Tiffany Toombs. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> you have a great intro, a little bio that I read, but I'm I'm like really I want to talk about your book because that kind of took me by surprise. I I didn't have that in your bio and I uh, when I was looking at your website, I noticed that last year you released a book with the best title in the world. Just stop being a selfish bitch. <laughs> yes, it definitely catches people's attention, that's for sure. Yeah, what tell me about the book. I I wish I had read it prior to this interview, but um let's talk about it before we get into our passion and our purpose. Yeah. So tell us about the book. So for me, it's kind of all tied together. What I've personally found is that in the times when I am, um, when I'm following my heart or that kind of tiny whisper inside that tells me that I need to go somewhere. When I moved to Australia, um, whenever I would travel, when I would work a lot or whatnot, I would have people telling me that I was being selfish because I was not spending time with my friends Um, granted they wanted to be going out partying on Friday nights and I was making the choice to stay home and, you know, schedule social media posts or whatnot. And I just, I continually, every time I started doing what I felt that I needed to do for me, setting boundaries, letting go of toxic people that I'd have people telling me that I was selfish. And I think, especially for women, that stops a lot of people from following their passion and purpose because there is that societal guilt about if you're putting yourself first or doing what's best for you, then you're being selfish because you're taking away from other people. And for me, what I really recognized, um, I went through a process of losing everything in Australia, uh, being in business with the wrong people, losing everything. I had been coaching on the side and had Uh, other businesses that were my main focus. And when I moved back to Canada, I was, I was faced with the decision of, do I actually start coaching full time? Do I think that I can coach full time? Can I make a a living out of this and support myself? Or do I need to get that safe nine to five and then do my coaching on the side? And every time I looked at a job seeking website, I could feel my soul dying a little bit. Mm. And so I knew the answer was that I had to go after this coaching thing. And I was sitting there and I, you know, all these 
you know, that voice inside my head is giving me every reason not to, friends and family giving me every reason not to follow my heart. And I was journaling to myself one day and I said, what I do changes lives. Like I have seen people have the most incredible transformations physically, emotionally, in every spiritually, in every aspect of their life. I've watched people have these amazing transformations. And so if I decide to give in to my fear, if I decide to give in to this belief that following my dreams and my passions is being selfish, then I'm not changing these people's lives. And there's people out there who are meant to be changed by me. They're meant to connect with me and me play a role in that journey for them. And so for me, I believe that we all have a gift or a message that we are here to share with the world that is meant to change somebody's life, whether that's by being the best mom or dad, by being the best wife or husband, by baking the best apple pie, doing the best oil change. It doesn't matter what it is. That's funny you say that. My husband and I are in the Jiffy Lube business. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. The best oil change. I I never would have thought of that. Okay. Go ahead. But right, like (laughs) that's going to change somebody's life. That's going to help them keep their car doing what it needs to. And especially when you give good service, right? Right. And that is You don't know what, what that means to that person on that day. And so for me, if we're not following our passions and changing people's lives by giving into the fear and the self-doubt and this rhetoric in our head and what sure. society tells us we should and shouldn't do, then that's when we're being selfish. Right, right. Who are we not to share our gifts, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I so love that I just, Marianne Williamson quote. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was her. Is that from Course in Miracles? I, mm, yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I wanted to ask you before we go on, what would your friends and family have had you do rather than um, become a life coach? Um, I was told I'd make a really good receptionist. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh. Yeah. Well, so, you could still do that later on. <laughs> I mean, I've done it. I did it in university. I don't need to go back to it's it. It's funny. It is funny what our, our um, well-intentioned friends and family um, think and hope and dream for us. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, your specialty is eradicating some of the limiting beliefs that we have. So what are some of uh, the ways that you work to help people uh, get rid of some of those nasty things? So with my training in NLP, what we do is um, we work to, we work with the person and their unconscious mind. Um, they might be in a semi-meditative state or a trance. Uh, in order for us to do that, they typically are so that we can access the unconscious mind. And um, we really, we talk about rewiring the brain. What we ultimately are doing is like rewiring the perspective that they've had. So for me growing up, having been abused by my stepmom, the perception that I gave that as a little girl was that that meant I was not worthy. Mm-hmm. And I recognize now that hurt people hurt people. And so it wasn't anything about my worth, the fact that she treated me that way, but it was her projecting how she felt about herself onto me. And so when we start to look at these beliefs that we've held to be true for so long and realize that there are other ways to look at it and we don't have to keep painting with the same brush or the same filter, Mm -hmm. then that tends to give people a pretty incredible change 
in their beliefs and and that creates that undeniable change for them yeah neurolinguistic programming um, can you break that down for us what what is does that actually mean I know you mentioned working with the unconscious mind but what do, what does it actually entail so neurolinguistic programming really looks at how the brain works how the brain stores emotions memories how those emotions and memories and experiences that we have then lead to the language that we use, which is the linguistic, mm. um, both to ourselves and to other people. So when we're communicating through self-thought um, and then when we communicate externally to other people and how that affects our behaviors and our beliefs. So my big belief is that most people, when they set a goal or they have a New Year's resolution, the reason that most people typically fall short or... Um, you know, New Year's resolutions crash after the first month is because we focus in on the behavior, right? Mm -hmm. I need to stop comfort eating. I need mm -hmm. to go to the gym more. What that doesn't do is address the belief system that is behind the behavior. And every behavior is driven by a belief system. So until we address the belief system, we're not really pulling the whole root of the weed out of the unconscious mind, right, right. it's more like we're like snipping the stem of the weed where it meets the garden, where it meets the soil. So the garden looks nice for a day or two, and then that weed is going to come back up. And so for me, that was what I found when I first started coaching. A lot of the coaching programs that I went to would talk about being an accountability coach creating structures and systems for people to get through things like procrastination. The thing is, is that when we procrastinate, there's a reason for someone like me, when I procrastinate, I recognize now that that means that I'm mentally and emotionally exhausted and I need to take some downtime, some self love time for myself. I have clients who have procrastination and it's because they have this belief, this underlying belief that they need to be in struggle in order to be motivated or um, creative or driven. So they procrastinate until just before the deadline. So there is this struggle to get themselves to do their best work. I know other people who procrastinate because they have fears of not being or beliefs of not being good enough, not being worthy. And so they procrastinate because they don't want to prove that belief right, except that by procrastinating, they end up proving that belief right. And then that just further embeds the belief. Yeah, that's interesting. So NLP gets to the root to find out what those belief systems are, what the, uh, you know, early childhood influences were that perhaps created those beliefs. And then once aware, we can act from a more um, truthful, truthful to our our um, true selves, right? Am, am I getting that yeah. right? Okay, okay. Yeah, and we actually, we end up rewiring the circuits of the brain through the process so that the old circuit, I mean, the old circuit's still there, but A no longer equals B. A now leads to C, which is the empowering behavior that we want. So if I have somebody coming to me who, uh, something I see t often is people like women especially will come to me and they will have an issue setting boundaries. And for a lot of women, there's a belief that if they set a boundary or if they say no to somebody, then that person won't love them anymore. Mm. 
And so when they have, so the presenting problem that people come to me with is, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm starting to resent my family or my friends because I can never say no to them. So they know that the saying no is an issue, but they don't know the belief that's driving that lack of boundaries. And a lot of times that comes from not believing that they're lovable um, or having some sort of belief about what their lovability and their um, their ability to be accepted, uh, their ability to be accepted to others is like. Mm, yeah, we have so many, so many uh, things we have to overcome just to be our our greatest self. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. I've always wondered about NLP. Is it does it stem from James Hillman or Carl Jung or any of those um, streams? Uh, so NLP was created by uh, Richard Bandler and John Grinder back in the seventies. It's what um, Tony Robbins is trained in. Oh, okay. The the master coach. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm happy with that. <laughs> I'm happy to know about NLP, but I really wanted to get to, you do this training on passion and purpose and using the archetypes, which are, are um, Carl Jung's thing, really, right? Um, yes. And, and you say that there are eight archetypes that exist for our souls to express themselves in this life. I love this mm-hmm. idea of this, this whole idea of this conversation. Um, and we each have four passion archetypes and one talent, or we each have four, three passion and one talent archetype. And just by understanding these, we can, we can help get closer to what our passion and our purpose is. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Carolyn Miss and Carl Jung are very big in the archetype field. I love Carolyn Miss. Yeah. My, um, my mentor, Pip Mackay, uh, who is actually, in Australia. Uh, she was born and raised there. She did a 20 year spiritual apprenticeship. And then she combined that with her understanding of NLP and a bunch of other influences Mm. and the tarot and everything like that. And she recognized that there were eight true archetypes. Um, Jung has like a couple, a hundred or a couple hundred, um, in his work. Um, and she talks about the word archetype means the best symbol So she looks strictly at the best symbol of something. So a child would be the best symbol of innocence or playfulness. A tree is the best symbol of growth. Carolyn Miss and Carl Jung have some, what we in our work call shadow archetypes Mm -hmm. in there. So the orphan, for example, would be the child who is no longer the best example um, and has fallen into shadow or out of balance. Mm-hmm. And so in the work that we work with, there is eight archetypes that our soul can use to express itself. As you said, we have three passions. So those are the things that we can do every day for the rest of our life and never get sick of them, never need a holiday from them. And we have one talent, which is the thing that gets us paid, essentially. And so when our passion and our talent archetypes come together, that creates our purpose and a purpose that we can then monetize and make a living from. Yeah. The the other four archetypes, interestingly, are our challenge archetypes and the lessons that we need to learn in this lifetime. So each archetype has a range of um, characteristics, specific words that they use, specific activities that they would most prefer enjoying. And so we look at the interests that you've had and the things that you've been good at 
throughout your life and the reason that you enjoy those activities or that you've been good at those things. And then that allows us to kind of decode your soul, so to speak, and figure out what your archetypes are. Very cool. Really- Very cool. I love I love anything that has to do with the soul. And I think James Hillman, if I remember correctly, he had that acorn sort of idea that we uh, we our soul is uh, a diamond, right? And and it's mm. it kind of reaches down. We he has this idea that we and it's, and he says it's not necessarily truth. It's more of a story to play with to use so we can make these discoveries about ourselves. But the acorn actually, the, the diamond enters the acorn, and the acorn chooses its. Uh, its parents and its particular life circumstances. And then from there, um, based on the influences of other people, our parents and our mentors, we are either um, kept from growing into our best oak tree or we are, um, inf- we are encouraged to grow and be our best oak. Does that sound similar to what you've heard as well? Yeah, we, um, I actually typically quote Plato's version of that story, which is where I'm guessing James Hillman adapted it Probably. from, where yeah. um, Plato has a story about the myth of Ur, and Ur was a prince on earth, and he died in a battle, and as his soul floated up to heaven, or the space between this world and the next, whatever people's beliefs are, um, he was conscious, and when he got up there, he recognized that Uh, there was an angel directing souls. Some souls were going up to a higher level and some souls were going back down to earth. And earth said to this angel, what, what's going on? Like what's happening with these souls? And the angel said, well, the people who have died in your battle on earth, their soul is going up to this holding zone where they relive their life from the point of view of everyone they've ever come into contact with, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty powerful concept because we tend to see ourselves." through our limiting beliefs. And when we start to recognize that, you know, there is um, other people view us in other ways, we can learn a lot about ourselves. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so we, those souls were going up for that reason. And then other souls that were going back down to earth had decided to have another lifetime. And before they went back down, they chose their purpose Uh, They chose the reason that they were going to be coming to earth. They chose their physical body to either help them get to their purpose or they had to overcome the influence of their body. So, you know, Michael Jordan, Usain Bolt, two of the best athletes that have ever walked to the face of the earth, they chose that body to help them get there. Then you have, I don't know if you've heard of Milton Erickson. He's the godfather of um, hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And he was born fully able-bodied. And when he was 18, he was struck with polio and completely became completely wheelchair-bound. When he was wheelchair-bound, he developed such an acute sensory acuity that he could say something to you and watch the pulse on the top of your foot change. And so NLP was created off the back of hypnotherapy. So um, we wouldn't have hypnosis and hypnotherapy if that hadn't happened to him. So he had Hmm. to, you know, that polio and becoming wheelchair bound led him to discovering his purpose. We, um, we choose our parents, as you said, and we, our parents either are a positive influence to help us get to our purpose. In a lot of cases, most people's cases, we have to overcome some form of influence from our parents to reach our purpose because our 
parents are a soul having a human experience as well. Right. Um, we choose the four most negative things that have happened to us in our life. And those things are designed to teach us the lessons and give us the tools and resources that we need to reach our purpose. So for me, I look at, you know, my abuse, my eating disorders, my miscarriage as being something that has now helped me develop compassion to help more people in those situations. We uh, also choose the four most positive things to happen to us. And those four things give us the energy and the inspiration to keep going towards our purpose. And Er said, that's fascinating, but I don't, I didn't know about, I didn't know about my purpose when I was on earth. And the angel said, well, as your soul goes back down to earth, you pass through the Elysium fields and you drink from the river of forgetfulness. And so your soul forgets or your consciously you forget, but Mm -hmm. just before you're reborn, you are designated an angel. The Greeks called it a daemon. The... Uh, the Romans, when they adopted the story, they called it a genie. So it's our own personal genius. Mm-hmm. And I think Christians every, call it a guardian angel, right? The, um, yeah. Yeah. Every different tradition yeah. has a different name for it. Yeah. And every time we're moving away from our passion or purpose, we we feel cold. So the way that our, our angel communicates with us is kind of like that game of hot and cold that people play as a kid. Oh yeah. As you move away from your purpose, you feel cold, you feel depressed, unmotivated. And when you start moving towards your purpose, people literally describe you as being on fire. Hmm. And so that was, um, that was Plato's version of that story that he wrote about in the book, the Republic. Yeah. There's no new stories, right? It's just like archetypes. I, uh, the hero's journey, um, Campbell, Joseph Campbell talked about the different archetypes in a, in a liter as literary devices. But, um, so, so I love this conversation and, um, I love that we have the soul involved. Um, so I'm wondering if we could kind of play around with this idea of finding, figuring out the archetypes, maybe even looking at the big things, the four big things idea and try to figure out, um, just me, for example, (laughs) All right. Since I since it's just me here, I feel like Tiffany. I have so many passions, and I don't know. Maybe that's okay, but I kind of feel like I need to start narrowing things down because i i get I get really jazzed about a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I teach yoga. I write children's books. I am an actor and a voiceover person. A lot of creativity. A lot of um, definitely. There's some creativity in there. So yeah, I'm just wondering if we could like play around with it for me, yeah, perhaps for sure, for yeah. sure. Um, so between we'll we'll just start between the ages of zero and seven. Was there something that you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, a singer. I love to sing. And I used to go, I got my first record player when I was seven, I think. And I went into my room and I would play every single musical theater record that was that, that I had, which probably weren't that many. So I learned the songs. <laughs> I learned a lot of uh, the same song, played the same songs over and over again. But it's singing okay. at the top of my lungs, just, you know, just really pas- a lot of passion, um, you know. Okay, cool. So I'm going to get you to close your eyes for a second for me. Okay. And just take a nice deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Okay. 
And if you were to know or to guess, how old were you the very first time that you started to love singing? Well, I, I, since you asked that question, I immediately went to first grade. So that would be about six. Okay, yeah, cool. Five or six. So see, your, see yourself floating up out of now and out into the past and landing next to yourself when you were six years old. Okay. And if you were to ask that six-year-old, what was it they loved? What was it that they loved about singing? What would they say? It's joyful. Joy. It's expressing, expressing joy. Okay. And what was it that they loved about expressing joy? I just want you to answer with the very first thing that pops into your head as I ask these questions. It made, it made her, (laughs) I don't know whether to talk in the first person or the, it made me feel light. Okay. Yeah. And what was it that you loved about feeling light? It was, I I felt expansive and um, free. Okay. What was it that you loved about feeling expansive and free? That I, oh, this is good. I could help other people feel expansive and free. Okay. And what was it that you loved about helping others? That I connected with my own love. Beautiful. And what was it that you loved about connecting with your own love? It was, it was, um, I don't know how to, what the words are. It was all there was. It is, it, it is all there is. It's okay. It's awesome. Yeah. That's all I got. (laughs) All right. And is there anything else that the six-year-old loved about being a singer? I think that expresses it just. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And between zero and seven, was there anything else that you wanted to be when you grew up? Maybe a mom. Definitely. A mom? I mean, I, I think I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how old were you when you first wanted to be a mom? Hmm. I don't know. I think I just always took it for granted because I had a really great mom and I think I just wanted to be just like her. Awesome. Okay. And so what was it that you loved about being a mom? Mm, Being able to love, being able to love. Okay. What was it that you loved about being able to love? Feeling the love. What was it that you loved about feeling the love? <laughs> it's the same answer. Okay. <laughs> love all right. is all there is. That's what it, that's what it's all about. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Anything else between 7 and 14 that you wanted to be when you grew up? 7 and 14. Hmm. 7 and 14. So let me go there. I think an actor. 
Okay. Which I became, so. <laughs> and what was it that you loved about being an actor? Self-expression, being able to uh, create and, and express myself. Okay. What was it that you loved about being able to create and express yourself? Freedom. So, so there was some, some stuff that kept me from feeling free enough to do it. And I just love the feeling of being able to play another character. Okay. And what was it that you loved about freedom? Freedom. Again, it's that spaciousness, that expansion that like the sky is the limit. There's no, no, um, yeah, the sky's the limit. Okay. Um, anything else that you loved about being an actor? The joy, the fun. It was fun. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving into 14 to 21, was there something that you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I actually... <laughs> Got a part in a movie. In remember the movie Grease with Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta. I when I was seventeen, I um, auditioned and got. I was one of the high school kids in that movie, and so uh, cool. that's what I thought I wanted to be. But then um, my father said to me <laughs> that I would be a really good PR person. So I ended up kind of setting that aside and um, studying media and communications. Um, and some theater too, but um, I kind of put that aside. Okay. Yeah. And did you love? Did you love the PR? Not as much as the acting. Okay. <laughs> Kept coming right. back. So yeah. Okay. And anything else that you loved to do or wanted to be? You've had two archetypes come out already. Okay. Um, um, the I think. Hmm. Yeah, that was it. I think that was really it. Okay. Well, I can definitely give you two of your, two of your archetypes. Cool. What I typically do when I work with my clients is we get rid of, we clear out all the baggage first, mm-hmm. and then we figure out their archetypes. The reason being that for a lot of people, they will suppress specific archetypes or certain archetypes will overpower the others if they don't feel like it's safe to express that or if they feel like they are... Um, you know, like, uh, I had a client who there's one archetype that's really organized, Mm um, and really insightful about how to organize and create systems and processes for everyone within that organization to get the, the most benefit. She felt the need to rebel against her dad though, because she had these negative, you know, her dad was a fairly negative influence and, because she was rebelling against her dad, who was also super organized, she had completely suppressed that one archetype. Hmm. So the, um, the two archetypes that you have, one is called the innocent adventurer. And this is like the Peter Pan type archetype. Richard Branson has this archetype. Um, this one is all about the freedom and energy and ideas and, the wonder, the fun, the happiness, mm. the adventure, the travel. So I'm guessing you love to travel. Yes. yes. Um, 
you love airports or getting on an airplane. I do. There's like that thrill. <laughs> yes. Um, probably look younger than what you actually are. Um, people with this archetype tend to be quite youthful, not just in actions and behaviors, but in their actual physical appearances, physical appearance as well. Um, then the other archetype that came out for you was the creative nurturer. And this is the universal mother figure. Um, there's two aspects to this archetype. One is the creative side, however that looks, um, whether it's writing, whether it's acting, painting, sculpting, drawing, um, problem solving, there's a creative aspect to them. And then there's the nurturing mothering side to them. Um, they tend to connect really well in nature and recharge really well in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, they can, uh, they love helping people. They make great coaches, parents. Um, they're very good at, you know, creating something that never existed before mm-hmm. the innocent adventure. When that falls into the shadow, they, um, can tend to burn out because they have so many irons in the fire. Right. Okay. And so with the creative or with the innocent adventure, it's a bit of a double-edged sword in that they always need to have new and variety. And at the same time, if they have too many irons in the fire, then they get adrenal fatigue and burnout. So um, the innocent adventure is kind of lesson in this lifetime is to learn how to balance the need for new and variety with the not having too many irons in the fire. Um, Ah, Innocent adventurers tend to Mm -hmm. start a lot of things and not finish them as well. And then the creative nurturer, they tend to have issues setting boundaries and can become resentful and feel taken advantage of. Huh. You nailed it, girl. (laughs) That was great. And that was so fast. And it's it's amazing how quickly the um, answers to your questions appeared. Yeah, yeah. It, um, that, that's pretty fascinating. So, so in your uh, in your training, for example, you would help us identify the archetypes, and then what happens after that? Um, so, what what we do in in the training is we go through all the archetypes in depth to give you a really solid understanding of what each archetype looks like. Okay. Then I teach people how to elicit the archetypes. Um, so I just kind of give a brief explanation of the process. We, I do a demonstration, everyone in the, in the workshop partners up, they go through the process with a partner to figure out their archetypes. Once you have all four archetypes, we would then figure out which one is your talent. And then we figure out the flow that you use your archetypes in. So you and I, I mean, we have two, two of the same archetypes. I have innocent adventure and creative nurture as well. Um, and you and I might have all four the same, um, but we might need to use them in a different order to be successful and happy in everything that we do. So we can actually figure out our individual and unique flow based on how we need to use our archetypes. So we figure that out as well. From there, there's some really cool goal setting activities that we can do with the archetypes um, that allows us to clear out any emotions Uh, negative emotions or limiting beliefs that are standing between us and our goals so we can get rid of those. And then there's a really cool process where we can download whatever resources we need from our archetypes in order to get to our goals faster. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
I, I love this stuff. So um, would you say, would Plato and James Hillman and Jung say that we were drawn together to this podcast conversation because we share similar archetypes? I would think so. To be honest, most of the people who come to my workshops have at least two archetypes in common with me. <laughs> Interesting. So, so so if we are, um, just for example, I teach yoga, and if I were to, uh, to attract, want to attract some yoga students, I might, I would probably do well with people with similar archetypes. Would I uh, use my marketing in a way that would reflect my creative nurturer and my innocent adventurer to, is that... Is that one way? I don't know. Just throwing yeah, that out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and then the other thing would be like, so for me, the other two archetypes that I have um, are I have the sage, which is the, um, they're believed to be the ancient scribes. Mm-hmm. So these are very like studious people Spiritual. have a hunger for knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for me, I get joy out of reading a textbook front to back. I love to acquire knowledge and I take on knowledge really quickly. I'm highly intuitive. Um, and then I mentor people with the knowledge that I gain. Mm -hmm. And then my other archetype is the knight. And so this is the results oriented, goal driven, get results on a, uh, quest for the Holy grail. And my Holy grail is that empowering 1 million women. Yeah. Um, so how far uh, along are you with that goal, by the way? Well, I started counting last year, so <laughs> I'm sitting about, well, if you add in my book, I'd be sitting at, at about a thousand Wow. People. Yeah. And so all you need is a couple of really big workshops to get those numbers up or YouTube videos, yeah. stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I, I've very had a cool. couple um, articles go viral where like 80,000 people have read them as well. So if you add that in, then, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm close to 100,000 mark then. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm glad you're not a receptionist after all. Not, not to say anything negative about receptionists, but you're definitely doing the work that you're, you were intended to do that you, uh, you're turning into a really nice oak tree, Tiffany. Thank so, you. I know we just dipped our toe into, uh, the ocean of work that you, you do, but, um, is there anything else you have coming up that you want to talk about and, and we can give your website and all your information? Uh, I do have workshops coming up in Dallas, Houston, and Charlotte. Um, I've been asked, and New York. Uh, and then I'm just kind of going where the need is taking me at the moment. So I have a two and a half day workshop where we look at what are the weeds in the garden of your unconscious mind? How did they even get there? And then I give you practical tools and tips uh, that you can use immediately in your life to make changes in health and relationships and business and finances so that you can make sure that this is the best year of your life. Wow. That's fascinating. Good timing too, with the coming of spring and the, all yes. the little potential blossoms and buds. So, um, what is yes. your, give us all your information so people can look you up and find your everything. So people can contact me or find information about my workshops on my website, which is uh, bluelotusminds.com so blue like the color lotus like the flower and mind like your brain uh, people can also find me on facebook facebook.com forward slash blue lotus mind or on instagram at tiffany tombs 
Awesome. Thank you so much for for taking Thank the you. time to talk to me today. I know you're in a hotel lobby or something, right? You're just kind of squeezing yes. it in between uh, workshops and stuff. So thank you. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Um, yeah. And I, I'm going to look for your book, Stop Being a Selfish Bitch. It is on Amazon. So. It's on Amazon. Okay, cool. Yes. All right, Tiffany. Thank you so much. Have a happy, healthy day. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.